This is a Soulfire production. And we're back. Here we go. It's a new day. Hope everybody had a thank- great Thanksgiving. An epic Thanksgiving. It's been a weird, weird holiday for sure. I hope you got out and got around some people. I'll say that. This podcast might be censored because I talked about enjoying gatherings. Gatherings of, of individuals. Well, the same people who talk about ugh, skipping Thanksgiving. And not being around your family are uh, are also talking about unity. And if you haven't figured that out yet, I'm talking about the Democrats. The Democrats are talking about unity. That is their buzzword. That's where they're investing their uh, lingual time. Unity. Hmm. When it seems like to me that... Democrats are fueling divisiveness as much, if not more, than anyone else. It's really adorable when you think about it. It's really adorable to watch people like Kamala Harris and Joe Biden talk about unifying now. Unifying now when they've done everything they fucking could to divide the country over one orange man. Who is, yes, a douche. For sure. With that, for that, I get it. But is that an excuse? Is that an excuse for your behavior? Do two wrongs make a right? I don't think so. I don't think so. But I think there's some things that Trump could do to go out like a pimp. I think the best thing Trump could do to go out like a pimp, okay, he just pardoned General Flynn here. Which makes sense. The dude was uh, that was a, that was kind of a sketchy situation. I don't like Flynn. Uh, he's <laughs> he's he's a he's a he's a QAnon follower. He's a very devout QAnoner. He took the QAnon oath, um, but you know probably didn't deserve the perjury charges or whatever it was for lying to the FBI. Uh, for doing his job, doing the same thing in the transition. If you don't know, he was doing the same thing in the transition from the Obama administration to the Trump administration that Biden um, is doing now. It, it wasn't that odd, but we got to make mountains out of molehills and find villains everywhere. But unity. Unity. And it's been interesting to think about... Oh, what was I saying? Sorry, I kind of lost track there, but... What Trump can do to go out like a pimp is pardon Assange and Snowden. Do the right thing. A lot of people in the world consider, yeah, outside of the United States especially, but a lot of these people look at Julian Assange and Edward Snowden and say, those guys are heroes. They spoke up. They spoke up against power. They did the right thing. They put themselves second. They're heroes. They deserve a pardon. Obama didn't do it. The ultimate flex, Biden's not going to do it. The ultimate flex from old Donald Trump is to pardon Assange and Snowden. Uh, That would be interesting. And it's been really odd 
speaking of divisiveness and the orange man, it's been really odd to watch this start to happen. I think I think you're going to start seeing this once I point it out. We have these appointments, and I haven't spoken up much about the appointments uh, that Biden has made to his cabinet yet. Um, it's some more research that needs to be done, and we just need to see what's actually going to happen. I'm not going to like make a bunch of speculations on something that I'm not an expert in um, by any stretch of the imagination. But what we're seeing here is Biden appointing someone that maybe progressives are upset about because, I don't know, of their policy or their history or whatever it may be. Um, and then the response from establishment Democrats is, oh, but Trump did this thing, though. Oh, but Trump, though. Oh, but Trump, though. When Trump is no longer the president of the United States, you cannot be your scapegoat forever. Like, you're going to have to give this shit up. And here we are, oh, but Trump, though. Oh, but Trump, though, is the narrative of, of mainstream Democrats. You're going to see that consistently. And the further this whole Trump conspiracy of stealing the election, it's it's kind of developed into just a whimper at this point. Like, I did hear Candace Owens. We're going to hear from Candace Owens today on the show. Um, I did hear her on Tim Dillon's podcast. Ex- excellent episode. She still thinks Trump has a chance, which I think is delusional. Um, but hell, that would just, you know, it's 2020. Who knows what's going to happen? But... And it's unlikely that those cases are going to reach the Supreme Court. So the fact that the conservatives own the Supreme Court isn't going to help them much in this scenario from what it what it seems like to me. But with all of this, you're seeing this man kind of go out like a bad loser is kind of the, the going to be the general narrative. I don't think the Democrats are going to have enough weight in their, oh, but Trump, though, narrative for much longer. And then what do they have? And then what do they have? Because they just walked this old man who can barely get a sentence out into a just shitstorm because people from the left, the progressives, people like like me even, who are more center left, but everywhere outside of mainstream, mainline Democrats are ready to just pounce on this motherfucker. Like it's, it's, it's enjoy, I, we find, I find joy in it. I find happiness in criticizing the Democratic establishment. It's interesting. The Republican establishment, for some reason, I just don't find the same. I don't like their policies and I don't agree with them. And maybe it's because I'm on that, I, I'm, I'm kind of on that Democrat team. Like there are some people that I support on that team. So I criticize my own team. I don't criticize the other team whenever they're doing poorly, when they're making bad decisions. But there's this interesting narrative that we find ourselves in where we have this, but Trump, though, is going to be the thing for the next foreseeable future. Like, as long as Trump is vocal, it's like, well, but Trump, though. But at least he's not Trump, though. And that's what this motherfucker ran. That's what Biden ran on. He ran on, I'm not Trump. He won on, I'm not Trump. You know, allegedly. Allegedly, he won. So we have this situation where we're going to hear this a lot. And I'm, I'm going to be keeping my ear to the ground as far as that goes. But today on the show, we've got some fun stuff. We've got a good time. We're going to have a good time today. We're talking about Jordan Peterson's new book, 12 More Rules. And we're going to get into what Norway has done. We're going to go, we're going to go, glo- we're going to go international. We haven't gone international on this show, I don't think yet. We're not going to talk about the uh, Iranian guy that got uh, assassinated. We're going to leave that alone because that's not really my area of expertise. I got to dig in there a little bit and see what's going on. But it seems like the Mossad put the, put the gabosh on this guy. And we're going to hear from Candace Owens and her take on, so we got Norway. Yeah, we're going to hear from Candace Owens on her take on what's going to happen with um, 
oh, excuse me, what's happening with race relations and black conservatives and and uh, the way that liberal media and liberals in general have have kind of uh, have kind of framed the race narrative in this country. And it's actually something that's really interesting. I think her and Tim Dillon had a fun conversation. He's a comedian. If you don't know Tim Dillon, he's my favorite podcaster in the game right now. And he had Candace Owens on. So of course I'm going to listen to that. And I didn't agree with many things she said. And I tried to find, I thought it would be really interesting to find that the, the shows and the videos that I do that do the best are literally me uh, ripping apart Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens. So I thought it'd be a different kind of practice that I could go through to, look at the podcast and find something that I resonated with or agreed with from Candace Owens. And I'm going to attempt to do that in this clip, although it's not as, um, it's not some full on agreement, but I thought my, my thought is if you disagree with everything somebody says, then you're an idiot. Like anybody, you, you could find a communist. You could probably find, I don't know anybody, somebody you could find that you agree with something they have to say. Right? So I was doing my damnedest to, like sift through this podcast and find something that I kind of maybe agree with. I just wanted to share that because I thought that would be a, a, a you know a new thing. Let's try something new here. Let's not shit on Candace Owens. Let's see if we can embrace her ideas. But that's where we're at. We have a fun show, and then it's something to think about. We're just going to talk about the future. We're going to talk about the where we're going from here because I've got some I've got some thoughts. I do, and I'm very excited to share them with you. So with all that being said. I want to remind you a couple things. This week, if you're listening to this right now, currently, on the week that it's recorded and released, this week I'm going to be doing our first ever Patreon-backed episode only. So only people within the Patreon community will get this episode, and it is powered by the Patreon community. So I dropped in there and said, hey, what do you guys want to talk about? I'm going to spend the next couple days doing a little research, digging, Seeing, you know, developing some thoughts on what y'all collectively want to talk about. And we'll dive into that on a show that's just for you guys. It's just for you guys. I want to give a shout out to Jake and Rick for joining the Patreon community today. Thank you so much, guys. And everybody who's joined, we are it's moving along. And I want to get that first Patreon episode out um, backed by questions and things that people are curious about in that community. So that's happening this Friday. That's going to go live. Super stoked on that. And if you want to get involved in that, there is a link in the show notes of this show right now. If you sign up, if you jump into the Patreon community right now, it's four fifty a month in 2021, January 1st, there'll be two tiers, a $5 tier and a $10 tier. Okay. If you sign up for the four fifty right now, you're going to get everything that the $10 tier gets. And if we end up with a $100 tier, maybe a $5,000 tier, who knows where we're going to go from here. I might get Jeff Bezos supporting the show. We never know what can happen. But I promise anybody who has signed up for Patreon before January 1st, 2021, is going to get the most premium access available for being an OG and having faith in this show. And that means the world to me. So hit the link in the show notes and check that out. And if you don't want to do that, if that's not really something you want to dive into, make sure to leave a review and share this show with some friends. And with all that being said, let's get into the state of things. Jordan Peterson is releasing his new book, 12 More Rules. 
Now, if you haven't heard of Jordan Peterson before, he is a professor from the University of Toronto, wrote the book 12 Rules for Life, kind of became very notable being on the Joe Rogan experience um, and speaking up against uh, legislation in Canada concerning uh, trans trans pronouns. And, and there was criminal penalties for not using appropriate pronouns, and it was considered a hate crime. He thought that was a slippery slope. He didn't want to comply. That being said, if so, a trans woman wanted to be called a woman in his class, he would do that. He just had this idea that he stood by very aggressively about not legislating that situation, not making it illegal to make a mistake. It was, it was a very interesting situation. And with all of that and the modern left, it became a goddamn shitstorm. So with that shitstorm, he became a, uh, a kind of an alt-right icon, which is very odd to me because he doesn't really have any political leanings in the way that he uh, uh, articulates himself. And I found a lot of value in the guy. Like really, we're going to go through this whole entire article from Vice talking about how Penguin Random House lost their fucking minds over this dude. Like this got really interesting. And, and this this article is unintentionally funny, and we're going to break it down. I'm going to read you the whole damn thing, and we're going to go through in detail what's going on. But this was this was strange. So Jordan Peterson kind of rose to fame. Uh, of course, he had that Joe Rogan experience, a bump. That all happened, and here we are. Right, so he's about to launch his new book. Of course, his first book crushed, crushed. I think I actually have it behind me back here somewhere. But yeah, he, uh, he actually killed it with that first book. So of course, of course, Penguin Random House is going to release the follow-up to Twelve Rules for Life. Of course, that's what they do. They're a publishing house, but the employees did not really um, see things that way. So let's go ahead and jump into this. This is, uh, this, is just, it's just, this is just amazing. So Vice World News, this is written by Manisha Krishnan. She is from Toronto. So she's from where Jordan Peterson lives. Penguin Random House staff confronts publisher about new Jordan Peterson book. During a tense town hall, staff cried and expressed dismay with the publishing giant's decision to publish Beyond Order 12 More Rules for Life. Staff adults cried because they're publishing 12 More Rules for Life from Jordan Peterson. This isn't David Duke. This isn't a neo-Nazi. This isn't necessarily somebody who's transphobic. People on the alt-right enjoy what he has to say, and he honestly does help young men a lot. Young, lost men. He keeps those guys... A lot of times you hear those people on the alt-right that you fucking hate, he helps keep them from becoming radicalized. But he's villainized for it. Interesting. So let's get into this. Several Penguin House uh, Canada employees confronted management about the company's decision to publish a new book by controversial Canadian psychologist Jordan Peterson at an emotional town hall on Monday, and dozens have filed anonymous complaints according to the four workers who spoke with Vice World News. On Monday, Penguin Random House Canada, Canada's largest book publisher and a subsidiary of Penguin Random House, announced it will be publishing Beyond Order 12 More Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. To be released in March 2021. The book will be published by Portfolio in the U.S. and Penguin. Da, 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 da. All right. 
four Penguin House Canada employees who did not want to be named due to concerns over their employment said the companies held a town hall about the book Monday, during which executives defended the decision to publish Peterson while employees cited their concerns about platforming somebody who is popular in far-right circles. Now, this is interesting. Popular in far-right circles. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's a far-right activist. That means that people in far-right circles, we're going to get into this because I have more personal stories here, but people in far-right circles enjoy what he has to say. And like I said, he does keep them from being radicalized often. So that's worth noting here. This is a quote. He says, one of the employees said, he is an icon of hate speech and transphobia, and the fact that he's an icon of white supremacy, regardless of the context of his book, I'm not proud to work for a company that publishes him. A junior employee who is a member of the LBGTQ community and who attended the town hall told Vice News. He is an icon of hate speech and transphobia. Okay, that's that's an egregious claim and patently false. He's an icon of hate speech. Really. That is a bold claim. And you should be able to back that up. When has Jordan Peterson been an advocate for hate speech? Now, legislating speech is a different conversation. Legislating speech is a very slippery slope. Okay? Let's move on. Another employee said, People were crying in the meeting about how Jordan Peterson has affected their lives. They said one coworker discussed how Peterson had radicalized their father, and another talked about how publishing the book will negatively affect their non-binary friend. How? How? How is this book going to negatively affect their non-binary friend? Has this, have these people read Jordan Peterson? Have they seen what he had to say? Like, this is absurd. The company since June has been doing all these anti-racist and allyship things, and then publishing Peterson's book completely goes against this. It just makes all of their previous efforts seem completely performative, the employee added. How is censoring someone in the name of anti-racism working for the cause? For the cause of, of modern anti-racism, like censoring speech, speakers. If I run a publishing house and I don't like what Ibram X. Kendi has to say or Robin D'Angelo, that's not a reason not to publish their books. Like I think what they have to say is garbage. But you publish the book. Because everybody who's complaining about this is getting paid to publish fucking books, man. All right. A third employee told Vice News that the company's Diversity and Inclusion Committee received at least 70 anonymous messages about Peterson's book. Only a couple are in favor of the decision to publish it. To, to publish it. In an email statement, Penguin Random House said it is open to its employees' feedback. We announced yesterday that we will publish Jordan Peterson's new book, Beyond Order, this coming March. Immediately following the announcement, we held a forum and provided a space for employees to express their views and other feedback. Our employees have started an anonymous feedback channel, which we fully support. We're open to hearing out, hearing out employees' feedback and answering all of their questions. We remain committed to publishing a range of voices and viewpoints, the statement said. The company did not answer any specific questions sent by Vice World News. I feel like that's a completely appropriate response from Penguin. Like, if you have concerns, and we've talked about this before with other companies, if you have concerns, voice them. You need to feel, people need to feel heard. I understand that. Like, I think that's incredibly important. I think it's very, the right thing to do on their end. 
But this article categorizes this man as some kind of anti-Semitic, racist, xenophobe, trans, transphobic, like monster. And that is by no case, no, no stretch of the imagination the case. Like it just is, I, I would, I'm keen to this kind of shit. And the dog whistles and all the other stuff, that is not what this is. Peterson, 58, a University of Toronto professor in psychology, (laughs) God damn, I cannot read. Peterson, 58, a University of Toronto professor and professor of psychology turned anti-political correctness crusader first ignited international controversy in September 2006 when he posted a lecture to YouTube stating he refused to use gender-neutral pronouns for students and condemned Bill C-9- C-16 legislation that increased protections for trans and non-binary Canadians. Okay, let's break that down. He refused to use gender-neutral pronouns for students and condemned Bill C-16 legislation that increased protections for trans and non-binary Canadians. That is the most like misleading line of all time. He, did ne- he never refused to use gender-neutral pronouns. Never. He just never did that. Like, There's plenty of video out there of him not, <laughs> not refusing to use any pronoun, whatever the person felt comfortable with. This was about legislating speech. He did condemn Bill C-16, and even that condemned Bill C-16 legislation that increased protections against trans and non-binary Canadians. That's an interpretation of what the bill means to this author of this article. But increasing protections isn't necessarily what it sounds like. That's not this changing the way people speak, enforcing speech, and legislating speech is not the same thing as protecting trans and non-binary people. That's that, that like sticks and stones and break my bones. Words can never hurt me, right? Everybody's heard that shit before. Like, what is this? That's a, that's a misrepresentation of Peterson and Bill C sixteen. He quickly became popular in right-wing and libertarian circles across the globe, becoming a regular guest on Joe Rogan's podcast. I take personal offense to that statement. He quickly became popular in right-wing and libertarian circles. He's popular in all kinds of circles. He's popular on the left as well. He's popular with human beings. Like I've had my clients read this book, women, men, all different ages. 12 Rules for Life is a fantastic book. Such a well-read, uh, such a well-written book, and, and broken down in a way that is easily digestible for anybody of almost any education level. It's an easy book to read and understand and apply. He amassed 3.25 million YouTube followers who turned into his lectures on white privilege, how white privilege isn't real. Come on. And how masculinity is under attack. At one point, he was making 80000 a month on Patreon. His book, 12 Rules for Life, The Antidote for Chaos, included instructions like stand up straight with your shoulders back and set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world and sold more than 5 million copies worldwide, according to Penguin Random House. So I want to get into this really quick. Let's look at the 12 rules rule. Okay, we got the 12 rules right here. Number one, stand up straight with your shoulders back. That's clearly racist. Um, number two, treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. That's transphobic. Three, make friends with people who want the best for you. What is what? That's xenophobic. How do you not see that's a dog whistle to, to xenophobes everywhere? 
Number four, compare yourself with who you were yesterday, not with who someone else is today. Again, overtly racist. Uh, five, do not let your children do anything that make you dislike them. <laughs> children, what if they don't identif- identify as children? It's a problem. Six, set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. What about homeless? Anti-homeless. Uh, seven, pursue what is meaningful, What is meaningful, not what is expedient. Again, absolute just blatant racism there. Eight, tell the truth or at least don't lie. How can this motherfucker get any more racist? Assume that the people you are listening to might know something you don't. Oh my God, if there's ever a message for the modern fucking left, assume that people you are listening to might know something you don't. Come the fuck on. That's problematic. So problematic. 10, be precise in your speech. God, do not bother children when they are skateboarding. That's that's transphobic as fuck. Pet a cat when you encounter one on the street. That's number 12. Again, Does this sound like fucking racism and xenophobia and transphobia to anybody? Really? Moving on. (laughs) One employee says, I feel it was deliberately hidden and dropped on us once it was too late to change course. The junior employee who is a member of the LBGTQ community said, the the employee said workers would have otherwise considered a walkout similar to what Hatchet employees did when the publisher announced it would be publishing Woody Allen's memoir. Hatchet later dropped the book. I want to break into this real quick. I feel like it was deliberately hidden and dropped on us once it was too late to change course. It absolutely was. It absolutely was because that's what happens when you can't act like adults. You can't act like a fucking grown up, then you don't get grown up information. You're going to walk out of your job because they're publishing a fucking self help book. And you don't deserve to know what's going on behind the scenes. You don't deserve transparency. Transparency comes with responsibility and accountability and ownership. And if you can't handle that, well, then you don't know until it's too late. And if you don't want a fucking job, there's the goddamn door. In an email viewed by Vice World News, Kristen Cochran, Chief Executive Officer of Penguin Random House Canada, invited staff to discuss the announcement with Ann Collins, publisher of Knopf Random House Publishing Group, an imprint under Peterson's book will be published. Uh, uh, <laughs> the imprint under which Peterson's book will be published. She says, how we think about our publishing and the range of books and authors we publish is in an evolving process and part of an ever-changing conversation. The one I am eager to have in a bigger way with you, Cochran said in an email referring to a larger meeting planned for the new year. In the meantime, though, I realize some of you might have thoughts to share on this particular publication. And so shortly following this note, you will receive an invitation from Ann Collins where she will share more information about the new book. More importantly, our reasons for publishing it. Again, Penguin Random House is handling themselves excellently here. Collins opened up the meeting by talking about how Peterson has helped millions of people who are on the fringes of society who would otherwise be radicalized by alt-right groups, according to one of the four employees who spoke to Vice News. 
She was trying to kind of spin it as a positive to be publishing the book, the employee said. It is a fucking positive. There is no, like, question. It's a fucking positive. It's a self-help book. He's got a huge audience. He helps people get their fucking shit together. It's not a question. Publishing this book is a positive for the publishing house, for Jordan, and for everybody involved. Because at the end of the day, that publishing house has to make fucking money to pay your ass. And if you're vetting the books because of your goddamn emotions, well, then that's not good for anybody. (sighs) But he's the one who's responsible for radicalizing and causing this surge of alt-right groups, especially on university campuses. He's responsible for that. Jordan Peterson is responsible for radicalizing people on university campuses. Give me a fucking break. The employee says Scott Sellers, director of marketing marketing strategy, spoke about how the company has to work with writers whose views we don't necessarily support, but that Sellers also defended Peterson by stating he opposes he supports same sex marriage. Yeah, because he's not homophobic or transphobic. That's not what this is. The employee said when Peterson previously came into the office to talk about the books, they would kind of do it secretly. Of course. They again, this is what happens when you don't act like, like grown-ups. They they knew what they were doing wasn't right, and they knew so many people in the community were upset about him. Okay, those are two separate things. They knew what they were doing wasn't right. That's not true. But they did know that many people in the company were upset about him. Yeah, they knew that. That's why they did that. They protected you, they coddled you even more by having secret meetings instead of having them out in the open because you are fucking children. The employees said they believe Penguin Random House Canada is publishing Peterson's new book because 12 Rules for Life was incredibly successful, but that wasn't part of Monday's conversation. They're not going to acknowledge the reason they're doing it is for money. I feel they would be more a more honest route to go rather than making up excuses for Jordan Peterson. It's a fucking business. This is a business. This man is not problematic. He's not on the fringes. He's not David Duke of the KKK. That's not who this man is. What are we doing here? The employees said the company's diversity and inclusion community aired concerns. <laughs> Sorry. The company said the, the, <laughs> the employees said the company's diversity and inclusion community aired concerns about how this will affect other off authors. We publish a lot of people in the LBGTQ plus community and what the, what the company is doing. God, sorry. It's just so fucking ridiculous. We publish a lot of people in the LBGTQ plus community and what the company, what is the company going to do about making sure these authors still feel supported by a company that is supporting somebody who denies their existence. (laughs) <laughs> okay, how can how can somebody, the same person, deny the existence of anybody in the LBGTQ plus community and also use their pronouns when they ask him to? Like how can that how can those those things do not coexist? They didn't they just don't coexist. That is not a thing. According to the employee, another person said they were instructed not to post anything critical of Peterson on their social media feeds when 12 Rules for Life was published. The employee said Cochran said she didn't recall that policy. Yeah, they probably shouldn't make people do that. All the workers who spoke to Vice World News said the book isn't canceled. 
they would like Penguin Random House to consider donating the profits from the book to the LBGTQ organizations. So either cancel the book or donate the money that you make from publishing the book, from doing your fucking job, from publishing the book to uh, LBGTQ organizations. Are we fucking serious now? Like, I wanted to come in here and, like, try and give this thing a chance, but this is absurd. They said the company has not elaborated on how it will respond to the critical feedback, but as the book is being published in March, it will likely go to print soon. Peterson has maintained a very low profile over the past year and has been dealing with serious health, health issues, which, according to his daughter, included a medically induced coma as he attempted to detox in Russia from, from a benzo dependence. In a subdued YouTube video released Monday, Peterson said he's been working on 12 Rules sequel for the past three years. Okay, so with all that being said, that's that's the whole article there. What we're seeing here is a, a, a really profound censorship of speech, and this is where it was going. And we're actually going to talk about more of this in the show as we go forward. But with all of this, we have a guy who has helped tons and tons of people. Right. And one person that I wanted to bring up in this, well, not only myself, and I can use myself, but that's 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 just me. Right. I enjoyed his book. They helped me a lot in a really rough time in my life. And I was transitioning and moving out of a new town and really wanting to repattern a lot of behaviors in my life that I felt felt weren't necessarily uh, productive. And one thing that really got to me, though, was uh, my dad has been in prison for the past or he just recently got out, but he was in prison for about six years. And uh, we started texting. He got, he got text, texting access uh, from prison where he would be able to text me via like an email type thing. So he would like email it, but it would come through as a text from me. And of course, those were all read by the you know prison filter or whatever that is. But he reached out to me one time and he had been reading uh, Jordan Peterson. And this is somebody who struggled with addiction his entire life and uh, didn't have a father and had a really rough go at it. And he and I had a pretty rough go of it in our relationship, even though I always um, kind of looked at him more of like an uncle than a dad, uh, but always really cared for the guy and, and felt for him and realized in my life that we weren't all that different. I was just afforded a way better life because I, I was raised by my grandparents who had done well for themselves uh, because him and my mom uh, struggled to, to manage myself and my brothers. Seeing people like that, that book in prison, 12 Rules for Life, there was one copy in the federal prison that he was in. And it took him months to get it. Months to get it. On a waiting list. Because that book was so incredibly popular in federal prison. For people who desperately need to get their lives in order and live a better life. Those are the people that we seek to want to help all the time, right? That's the marginalized communities. I wonder what percentage of that prison is black. Right? But it doesn't matter because he has an issue with legislating speech and le legislating pronouns and understands the slippery slope that that is. He's helping the people that need help the most. The people that need to understand, walk tall, be proud of yourself, treat yourself like somebody that you're responsible for helping. Get your house in order. Have empathy. Understand yourself. That's who Jordan Peterson is. And he's been violently mischaracterized by people who get their fucking feelings hurt over nonsense. It's cowardice bullshit that is poisoning, poisoning a generation. 
and it's pushing people like me further and further to the center line, and eventually we're going to fall over, and we're all going to be on the right. And we're going to be like, you know what? Fuck you guys. This is fucking absurd. It's a shame that wanting the best for people has become villainized. And with someone like Jordan Peterson, this is, is, is incredibly, he was just incredibly misunderstood and mischaracterized and causes riots and protests when he goes to speak at a university. There's bigger things at play here, and this is worth looking at. This is incredibly problematic, and I hope that we can get our shit together and with the orange man out of office, we can wage a war on bullshit like this. This cowardice, weak-minded, pussy shit. It fucking drives me crazy. I cannot handle this anymore. We are better than this. You are better than this. We're better than this as a nation. Your community is better than this. This is terrible. And to see adults crying at the release of a book that they don't agree with, that they've never read, by the way. Never read. There's not a word about trans people in that book. Maybe that's a problem. I don't, I, it doesn't seem like a problem to me. Disgusting. Disgusting. And I hope we can do better. I really, really do. I hope we can do better. This is just, it's sad. But I think right now, it's time to move on. Norway outlaws hate speech against trans people. Let's get into this article. All right, Norway. What a trip. What a trip. Now, this is Norway's a very progressive place. This is a Reuters article written by Rachel Savage. Great name. Love that name. Norway's parliament outlawed hate speech against transgender people on Tuesday, expanding its penal code, which has protected gay and lesbian people since 1981. Seems uh, well-intentioned. People found guilty of hate speech face a fine or up to a year in jail for private remarks and a maximum of three years in jail for public comments according to the penal code. People found guilty of hate speech face a fine or up to a year in jail for private remarks and a maximum of three years in jail for public comments according to penal code. Okay, I'm very relieved actually because the lack of legal protection has made an eyesore for trans people for many, many years, says Bernard Roslett, vice president of the Association of Transgender People in Norway. Norway is one of the most liberal countries in Europe for LBGT plus people. They took out the Q. They don't have the Q in Norway. They're not that progressive then. <laughs> All right, people are allowing trans people to legally change gender without any medical diagnosis in 2016, but reported homophobic crimes have risen, according to an advocacy group in IG, uh, whatever, in Europe. So I'm curious if the crimes have increased or if the definition of what a crime is has shifted. Always an interesting question to ask yourself. The bill has proposed on its second reading without a vote. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. The bill was approved on its second reading without a vote. A parliamentary spokeswoman said after it was backed by lawmakers on its first reading last week. 
Trans people are an exposed group when it comes to discrimination, harassment, and violence, Minister of Justice and Public Security Monica Malin said. So, okay, I understand that. Trans people are an exposed group when it comes to discrimination, harassment, and violence. I see that. And I'm curious what the fuck's going on in Norway where they feel like this is this is necessary. I'm curious of the implications of this whole thing. It's so odd. It is imperative that the protection against discrimination offered by the criminal legislation is adapted to the practice, practical situations that arise. Okay, now this is where it gets slippery. This is interesting. Listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth right here. It is imperative that the protection against discrimination offered by the criminal legislation is adapted to the practical situations that arise. That means moving the goalposts. That's the definition of moving the goalpost. The amendments outlawed discrimination based on gender identity or gender expression and changed homosexual orientation to sexual orientation, meaning bisexual as well as lesbian and gay people will be explicitly protected from discrimination. Under the penal code, people charged with violent crimes can receive harsher sentences if a judge decides their actions were motivated by someone's sexual orientation or gender identity. The law's opponents argue that it could criminalize free speech, uh, it could criminalize free speech criticizing LBGT plus rights and, uh, and blah, blah, blah. The, <laughs> the bar for prosecution is high, requiring direct incitement against people or language that dehumanizes them, she said. There are a lot of hateful things you can say about protected groups. So, I'm curious about this because I, I can't imagine that Norway being the most liberal country in Europe when it comes to LBGTQ rights, I can't imagine what's going on over there that would require private remarks to become illegal. And do we see that this is, this is and this isn't a shit on Norway. I don't know what's going on over there. This may be completely necessary over there. I have no idea, and I don't want to project that I do. But what I'm saying is we look at this, and we see where things are moving here in the States. This wouldn't get through our lawmakers now, but it might at some point. And the, my issue with this is, listen, if you're being overtly racist, xenophobic, transphobic, homophobic, whatever it is, if you're if you're overtly expressing those views, I can't really find it in myself to see that as being illegal, especially in private conversations. I don't really use those like figures of speech often in my personal life, but I do make ridiculous fucking jokes and say silly things. Like, what does this mean for a comedian? Right? If you think about, if you think about, um, if you think about our boy, oh, what the hell is his name? Can't believe I'm drawing a blank here. Dave Chappelle. Jeez, how did that get so hard for me? <laughs> the best comedian of our time. Um, think about Dave Chappelle's bit in his recent Sticks and Stones special about the LBGTQ uh, road trip. And I would think that there's people out there who would think that is hate speech, even though many of the people in my, uh, that are my friends that are in that community thought it was fucking hilarious because it was, it was very, very funny. Where does that land in this? 
What does that mean? What are the implications of this downstream? And I don't look at this and say, like, I don't live in Norway, so I'm not super concerned about it. But it's interesting that this is happening, that this is deemed necessary. And you got to look at both sides. you got to look at both sides and say, are there people that are that upset about trans issues that they feel so infringed upon by trans people and people that identify as something different than themselves or that don't fit into what they consider normal? Like, is, Are people that threatened that it's become such a problem that legislation is necessary? That is absolutely possible. I don't think that's happening here in the States. I don't see that happening. And yeah, people say really ignorant shit. People in my YouTube comments say fucked up shit all the time. The comment sections on YouTube are the the, the pit of the earth. It's where it's where just just disgusting people go to 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 make themselves feel better. It's the it's the worst. It is the worst. But should that be illegal? Does anybody care? I'm from the I'm from the camp where it's like, hey, if somebody wants to be a Holocaust denier and put that shit on Twitter, let them. Let them. Because if you're dumb enough to fall for that bullshit. Well, that's on you. And second, let's know who the who holds these beliefs. Because otherwise you just push it underground. You push it underground and somebody creates a fringe, you know, for a 4chan, 8kun, one of those type of things, parlor types jam. And then you've got QAnon. QAnon is a product of shit like this. So let's keep an eye on this. Put a pin in it. And remember that now when speech, and this is what Jordan Peterson kind of fought against. And that what I, what I really uh, appreciate about him is standing up to stuff like this. is not easy to do, especially today. But when we live in a situation where, where legislation is the, is the call is the, is the response or the, uh, the, 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 the problem solving device for emotional issues, things get really, really, really scary, really fast. And it's worth thinking about, and I thought it was worth sharing with you guys today. But with that being said, let's move on. Candace Owens was on Tim Dillon, and Jesus, I had a good time listening to this. And it was fun. Tim Tim did a good job kind of breaking it in and, and, uh, <laughs> and, um, and and really kind of punch, in, punch into the uh, kind of shitting on the progressives a little bit, which I thought was fun, which I always think is a good time. And had Candace Owens on as the first woman of color on a, on his podcast, which I thought was fantastic. And I went through this whole show, through this whole episode, trying to find something that I agreed with. Because she does a lot of blanket statements, which I always, I think language is very important. Like Jordan Peterson says, be precise with your speech. And it kind of lumps, it's, they're more putting people in buckets and then saying that all those people believe a certain thing. Like I don't do that with people that are conservatives. I don't do that with liberals. I don't do that with the alt left, alt right, QAnon. Like I just try not to do that. There's more nuance to humanity than that. And I feel like that way of thinking um, really limits you as far as your critical thinking abilities. And I don't think that Candace Owens is a great critical thinker. Um, I think if you're going to look at somebody on the right, who is a a critical thinker, maybe Ben Shapiro uh, is probably a better outlet, uh, a little bit more practical and grounded. I mean, Candace Owens still thinks that Trump's going to win the election. So take it all with a grain of salt. But I thought what she had to say about um, our race relations in the country were interesting. And I thought I'd play that for you right now because I love you and I care. But I think it's I think it would be fair to say that black people face a, a different set of challenges than white people. They, they, you know, in many, in many cases. Right. And that in what way specifically. Well, that's a good question. I think that. 
if you look at where I grew up, I grew up in Long Island. In Long Island, a lot of my friends were able to inherit homes because their parents got loans after World War II or their grandparents got loans after World War II to buy these houses. And they created the suburbs. I think a lot of black people were excluded, not only from those loans, but also from like those communities, like realtors that showed black people houses would be threatened. And it was like, so the suburbs and the house, which seemed like the, the engine of wealth for a lot of middle-class families, right? Building equity in something, ownership. It, 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 black people were excluded from that. So I feel like there is a little bit of catch up being played, certainly. There's not because I don't see that's what Tim had to say there. I feel like is a very pragmatic way of looking at things. Like, yeah, like is it what the far left wants you to think it is? No, but there is a, a fair amount of ca- I think catch up is a great way of looking at that. Like, there's a fair amount of catch up that's happening. Like, and there's been things, and she goes into and I, some things that I agree and some things I disagree with, and what she's going to say here, um, but. I think he articulated that very well. If we're most, and I'm speaking for white people here, like where most white people see like, okay, that makes sense. Yes, that makes sense. Like realtors being threatened for selling black people houses in certain communities and the suburbs and all of that shit and being restricted from getting loans. Like if you think that doesn't uh, impact communities till today, well, you're wrong doesn't explain or account for the reason that black Americans during my grandfather's time did better than black Americans during my father's time. So it defeats your entire argument, right? Well, it does not defeat his entire argument at all. So don't delude yourself into thinking that's the case. Like that's also a valid point. These are both, it's a yes and situation. Yes. And what do you mean? So what happened from, you know, the 1950s, through to the 1970s that black Americans became more impoverished, you know, uh, owned less homes and became more reliant upon the government structure. And the truth is, is we married the government welfare. And now whether you want to argue whether or not that was strategic and whether it's the fault of the government and Lyndon Baines Johnson, uh, you know, for opposing the Great Society Act, which is what married black women to the government, that's an argument you can have. But you can't say it's because there's this longstanding black Americans just couldn't break away. If you look at the 100 years following slavery, black Americans did well. The fact that black Americans performed better economically under Jim Crow laws than they are doing today you just cannot point to a systemic racism. It, ha- it has to do with choices, the choices that we made to marry the government, and the fact that we cannot outthink this government structure, that you know, black Americans still believe in the victimhood and will take the handouts, that black Americans will take to the streets and demand, you know, AOC right now is saying, we need to make sure you know, black and brown people, the government pays them to stay home. Well, hello, welfare policies that- Okay, I wanna, I wanna jump in here real quick. The, what AOC is having to say about that is because, generally speaking, the dis- disproportionate number of uh, what black and brown people do for work is considered essential now, which I think is, says a lot about our society. Um, and there, that, that contributes to higher rates of COVID in those communities. So there's there's more nuance, and, and you will never, ever, ever hear Candace Owens uh, steel manning an AOC argument, and you'll never hear AOC steel manning a Candace Owens argument, but I try to do that uh, for both of them because they seem to be incapable of doing that. You know, we're the first thing that crippled Black America in the first place. That they're being reintroduced right now under COVID nineteen. Right. So I always say, right now we have a choice. Right now, if we're going to give another one hundred years to Black poverty yeah. by all the saying yes to more government handouts, we don't need government handouts. That's the, the biggest issue. Is more and more and more from the government. The government is not our parent. It's not our mother. It's not our father. It was an attack on the Black family. Um, but if we don't wake up to that, we're never going to get ahead. Black people make the worst decisions out of every. Uh, 
um, out of every group in America, and and you can compare us to who is who is the most successful group in America. It's not white Americans. So your argument about you know white Americans who is this? Yeah, is it Asians? It's Asian. I, Asia. I forget who it is. It's, is it's it Asians? Asians. Some yes. Asians, have, Indians they, do well. They weren't given anything. Indians do well. I'm Indian Irish. We don't. We don't. We haven't done great. Yeah. So nobody wants to talk about Asians because it, it you know, it defeats all of the arguments for white people had it easier because no one's going to say Asian people during World War II were Japanese people were in internment camps. Right. Well, that, <laughs> that should be the so title of your. So why are they ranked above white Americans the, today? The title of your next book should be "Nobody Wants to Talk About Asians" by Candace Owens. I know. <laughs> I, exactly. Yeah, I do understand. But as, as a white person, I always say to myself, I was a druggie. I drove around. I did not get pulled over nearly as much as my black friends. I feel like they 100% are more likely to get pulled over, more likely to go to jail. And we're doing a lot of the same things, right? I was, uh, you know, uh, irresponsible, reckless human being. And I just feel like I maybe had, I definitely had certain advantages that put me in a better position versus uh, a kid, you know, just the idea that I had money for a lawyer. So if like, if there's a black kid who got caught smoking uh, blunt yeah. and went to jail um, and he went to jail and my parents could maybe get me a lawyer to get me out of it. That to me is, yeah. it, it's easier being white than if that's the, right? I see, but here's what's wrong. You just brought up a good point and then you racialized it. Okay. okay. Rich people. Yes, yes. yes. Economic privilege you're is right. a real thing. It didn't happen because you're white, right? So it didn't matter if, if you think that Puff Daddy's son is not going to be better off being pulled off if he has pot, right, than some poor white kid, you're wrong. But you, you've okay. accepted the argument that it's because of the color of your skin, not because of your economic circumstances. That is the thing that she said on this podcast that I 1,000% agree with. And that's not necessarily because of... Um, it being a Candace Owens statement, that's because I've seen it in my own life. And I've made, I've had a very similar thought to Tim Dillon. Like I got in trouble for, I got a DUI when I was really young. Um, and it was stupid. I was doing some dumb shit. And I, um, got out of that with some, uh, you know, community service deferral, but whatever, it's not around anymore. Like it wouldn't, you couldn't find it unless you really were, unless I was trying to get a job with the CIA or something. But this idea that because modern, far left, alt left, whatever you want to call it, has made it everything about race, we overlook that economic privilege is the most powerful form of privilege there is and ever will be. That changes everything. Now, there is an argument to be made that black guys can be, or black people in general, can be profiled regardless of their income because there's an assumption about where they stand socially uh, until they get to the point where they're hiring a lawyer and all that kind of stuff. And that's something to be, there's something to be said for that too. Something to be said for how racist our drug laws are. And I mean, I would say more classist than racist. Like a lot of the drugs that are highly uh, criminalized are also the drugs that are being used by lower income communities. Let's think about crack and meth. Uh, crack being the black person version of meth and meth being the thing that happens in, you know, white trash trailer parks, like that kind of thing. And in the prosecution on those things and the way those are viewed is much different than, let's say, like cocaine. Right. Like those are two separate things. I mean, cocaine is basically legal if you can afford bottle service, regardless of what color you are. So there's a thing that she said that I thought was really important that economic privilege has been overlooked. If we had a conversation from the left, for example, and that, like many of us do um, and do our best to say, like, hey, economic privilege is the is dictates a person's future. 
100%. And we have a responsibility to do our best to ensure that people are economically stable enough to provide a, a common welfare for their children. That and there's a, We can have conversations all day long about how we go about doing that. But if we don't address that issue and treat it all like a race issue, there is a lot of race issues bundled into the economic inequality, right? But the economic inequality is 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 the kraken, right? It's the it's the problem. It is the root of it. It's if you think about like it's a cake, the cake is economic inequality, the icing is racism. And that to me is something that's really powerful. Now she also, you know, I had to search like a needle for in, like, a, like I'm searching for a needle in a haystack to find something I agreed with here. And that was my goal in watching this and wanting to present something from this podcast. So like, let me find somewhere I agree with Candace. And then she talks, you know, she goes into some pretty common, like right wing uh, style of, you know, all drugs that aren't marijuana should be legal and are Ill- illegal and prosecuted in the same way that they are and that, you know, whatever, whatever, which I vehemently disagree with. And I think that that's just shitty logic, but it's worth noting that I agree with Candace Owens on one small little thing. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to put it out there because it's in line. It's in alignment with my value. You can't disagree with everything somebody says. You can't, you can disagree with most of it. You can dislike them as a person, but always do it with substance and always back it up with some kind of data, some kind of stats, some kind of historical context, because otherwise you're just a fucking a jackass. Now let's move on a little bit. Let's do something else here. Let's go on. What is what part of the show is it right now? What do we do right now? Oh yeah, I'm gonna give you something to think about, baby. That was my sexy voice. I like that. <laughs> What is it going to be like in 2022 and 2024? Where are we headed? Where are we headed politically? Where are we headed socially? What is the life of me, you, our friends? What are we going to be doing? How are we going to be thinking? What's the world going to look like? What's our country going to look like? Are we going to be here? Is there even going to be a country anymore? These are all valid questions. They're all valid questions. But we've seen Trump set the stage for how Republicans are going to act, most likely going into the 2022 midterms and the 2024 election. Fake populism wins elections. Trump was a fake populist. Okay, and now you're seeing people like Marco Rubio, you're seeing a few other cats jumping in and trying to, you know, also be fake populist, even though their policy and their background and their history um, do not suggest anything of the sort. So we're going to see that from the right. And what I believe will happen from the Democrats is they're going to continue to embarrass themselves and expose their uh, vehement lack of values, right? They're just kind of shifting with the political winds, whatever people want, but uh, you know, rioting is protesting and it's defendable and these, these kneel in some kente cloth, like they're going to keep doing fucking dumb shit. Okay. Now, I got to thinking, like, where could things go? What could really shift things? And I think this could be possible. Because I don't see many Democrats, right, moving right on issues 
and becoming more like center left, but not center left like Hillary Clinton center left or Bill Clinton or, or, or Joe Biden or Barack Obama center left. I mean like center left, like me center left. <laughs> I don't see a lot of fucking Democrats moving this way. Right. And I know a lot of people agree with the way that I see things and, and see things very similarly. And I think that's great. That's not why I do it. That's not that's not what this is about. But I do see that as as a common um, expression. Right. We think healthcare could be uh, completely revamped in numerous different ways. And we're open to all the possibilities to how that could happen. We think that drugs should be decriminalized. Right. Many of us live in this world. We think that I don't know. Corporations to pay taxes or CEOs should pay taxes. I don't know. Some people that are fucking rich should be paying to paying their fair share of taxes. Like that's you know, let's close some tax loopholes. Like that's center left to me, right? That's not that's not pro corporate neoliberal bullshit. Okay, and that's what you think about when you think about people like like Obama and uh, Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton was kind of the pioneer of neoliberalism. Joe Biden, like these are neoliberals. Okay, the people that the progressives hate, neoliberalism. Okay, we'll talk about that more on a, on, a, on a future segment. We'll break down neoliberalism and neoconservatism. But I think it's very possible that a conservative, a Republican, could move to the left on social issues, truly come out with federal legalization of marijuana, uh, decriminalized possession of drugs, um, practical tax policies, healthcare reform that might actually happen or at least sound good and reasonable. Moving in that direction, not defending pharmaceutical companies, not defending corporations, not being in their fucking pocket, running an actual grassroots campaign. Someone like that, that's economically relatively conservative with some bold ideas that get people excited. Someone like that could emerge in 2022, 2024, going into this next presidential election, because we're all thinking about what the fuck we're going to do after Biden, right? Because if you voted for Biden like me and reluctantly did, I actually regret voting for Biden, to be honest with you. I wish I would, I, I had committed to leaving that shit blank, and I really wish I would have. But is there a place, and just think about this, if you if you live politically similar to me, and I know a lot of people don't, which I appreciate you guys listening to this show, if you disagree with a lot of things I have to say, that's awesome. I fucking love that. Bring that to the Patreon. Let's have a conversation. But... If you look at this thing and you're like me and somebody said, hey, you know, someone with an R next to their name comes out and wants to uh, deregulate um, insurance companies, right? Bringing the cost down and provide a social safety net for low-income families and maybe expand Medicare to newborn children or children under five, something like that, right? Something that's relatively progressive but also fiscally kind of conservative. Would that sway you? Right. If someone, if a conservative came out and said, Hey, we want to federally legalize marijuana. I'm going to rally the troops on the right. We're going to make this happen. Ted Cruz's bullshit isn't going to fucking fly. And I, Oh my God, we have to watch Ted Cruz run for president again. That's going to be fucking rich. Um, <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait to see that fucking douchebag try and try and become president again. Everybody hates that guy so much. Uh, anyways, that's an aside. I digress. Um, would that sway you? Could you see yourself voting for a Republican? Because I was thinking about, I've been thinking about this. And as you know, I usually give you something to think about that I've been thinking about. And I would. I could see myself, if you asked me four years ago if I saw myself ever voting for a Republican, for president especially, I would be like, fuck no, dude. Fuck those guys. They're obnoxious. But what you're seeing 
is that, and I hate to agree with some people on the right about this, but the liberals have gotten a little bit fucking crazy. You know, and if I'm, I'm, maybe I'm a bit of a classical liberal or something like that, but this neoliberalism has gotten out of hand. It's, it's like the worst of both worlds. It's, it's, it's social justice to the nth degree and corporate, you know, corporate sponsorship and influence peddling. Like there is no groundedness. There is no values within the Democratic Party. So I'm just waiting around. We're just, and a lot of us are just waiting around for somebody have a solution that makes sense, please. Is it Medicare for all? I don't know. Whatever the fuck it is, give us something better than what we got. That's where they've got us as a nation right now. And I think that's very interesting. It's And it's challenging to see the world like that. It's challenging to see the way that we've shaped this thing up to be a complete fucking nightmare. You know, I would love to see something like ranked choice voting be talked about. Like these pragmatic issues, maybe even a, a conservative that considers uh, UBI a reasonable a reasonable path forward. You know, I had a libertarian buddy of mine, Sal Stefano, who's been on The Realness numerous times, talks about, hey, how about we cut corporate taxes to zero and bring back a lot of industry and have a 15% flat, flat tax? And I was like, doesn't sound like a bad idea. It's a good starting spot for a conversation. You know, that means Jeff Bezos is paying $68 million in taxes a year. Fantastic. That's what people want. I think when people want, like, corporations to pay taxes and all that shit, like, they're very adamant about that. I think what we really want is the CEOs and the C-suite to pay their fucking taxes. It's less about the corporation. And if we tax those wealthy motherfuckers and close the loopholes and do away with their offshore bullshit and their fuckery and their capital gains bullshit, like all of that, if we can just find a way around all of that and actually have people paying their fair share, I don't think anybody's going to complain about 15% if we have jobs. Because Democrats, uh, I mean, Obama did a pretty good job, pretty low unemployment, but like I don't see that happening with the Biden administration. I just don't see it happening. So I'm looking, am I looking for a conservative savior in all of this? Maybe so. Do I think it's Dan Crenshaw? Probably not. Probably not. But maybe, maybe. I mean, I would look at somebody like Tulsi Gabbard, who's going to get, I wish she would just switch to Republicans where she could get fucking some, some notoriety because the Democratic establishment hates that woman. And we're all just waiting around for Hillary and Bill to die anyways. Like, get them the fuck out of here. So when we look forward to 2022 and 2024, we got to really reevaluate ourselves and where our values lie because our, 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 our political parties don't have them. It's not their responsibility to maybe have values as a party. It's our responsibility to have values as the population and let those values inform our decisions. And with that being our motivator, with that being our driving force in our decision-making process when it comes to who's going to represent us, then we have a chance. But if we vote on our emotions, we lose. From the right or the left, that gets us here. So what I'm hoping for is common sense, 2024. I really am. Improvements. New ideas. Accepting the world as it will be, not as it was. And being leaders in that. You're not a fucking patriot if you don't think that America has the potential to lead the world in so many things. Maybe that's green energy. Maybe that's an infrastructure for charging stations for cars. Is it going to be in race relations? 
Probably not. We've fucked that up pretty bad. He's going to be in policing? Unlikely. But he's going to be in gun policy? Uh, also unlikely. I'd like to see a Republican come out with a common sense gun reform plan. But I feel that we as the population have missed have missed our responsibility to understand our values clearly enough. I think that it was pretty clear cut for a long time to the baby boomer generation with you were going to go Democrat and Republican and the income distribution wasn't so fucking wide and there wasn't so much. I mean, there was inequality for sure, but the distribution of wealth was not so lopsided. And that helped. That made a better nation. So... Don't overlook your responsibility to understand your values. And don't fall for the fake populism and the aggressive rhetoric that led us to Trump. Now, I don't think Trump is the villain that everybody made him out to be, but I do not agree with his policies and the decisions that he made and the way that he led this nation. It was, it was, it was comical in the worst way. That was voting on emotion. That was voting on frustration. We need to learn what our values are and vote on our values. And that will make 2024 and 2022 much better for all of us. And I think we all understand the importance of our Congress now and voting for our representatives and understanding where their money comes from. What does their record show? Do they deserve to represent your community? They're all valuable questions to ask, and we've got to be tuned into that, not in two years, but right now. Keep an eye on it right now. Investigate your values. Where do you want to see this world go? What are, your, what are your values? What are your intentions? And then allow numerous ideas that may meet those values and meet those intentions to come into your, your frame of reference or your field of view. And let them play with each other. Let your ideas you know, fuck around a little bit. And with that, with that mentality, we may all end up better off. And that's what I've got for you today, everybody. I hope that you enjoyed the show. Sorry we missed Thanksgiving week. It was a wild, wild week for me. But you know I love you, and I'm glad you're here. Make sure to go to subscribe on the YouTubes at Connor, or just Connor Wanders. Just search Connor Wanders. You'll find me. You'll find it. Oh, there's also a link in the show notes. Patreon's there for you if you're there for that, for it. And, um... I guess we'll see you uh, if you're on the Patreon crew. We'll see you Friday. If not, we'll see you next time. Keep your head on straight. And uh, be nice to each other. Love you, bye. <laughs>